Thank you for tuning in to What's the Wi-Fi Password, an extension of our youth ministry at Calvary Monterey. Here you will find teachings from our Tuesday night studies, as well as conversations about relevant topics for our parents and students. As I keep studying this book and I keep kind of reading through it over and over again and, and then kind of narrowing down on the passages we're teaching like tonight, I just keep, I just keep coming to a place of how like, truly practical this book is. Um, I, mean, I must have read it, I don't know, a dozen times when I was in high school just because the book of James spoke so, like, so much to me as a high schooler. And you know, I just hope that you guys are continuing to get something out of this as we're studying through it. And so I'm going to keep harping on you. Bring your own Bibles to youth group. I know it's, a, it's an amazing thought, kind of a like, revolutionary concept. Um, but bring your Bibles to youth group. It should be something you guys have with you. Uh, and I get it. Like, maybe you don't want to carry it to school and stuff like that. No, actually, I don't get it. You should be carrying your Bible. Like, like if you have a car, you should have a Bible in your car. Like, if you have a backpack, you should have a Bible in your backpack. And really, it's not that big of a deal. You got a minute to read it. You should. And so, you guys, bring a Bible to youth group. Uh, especially when we go through an entire book like this. Where we're taking basically four months and going through the book of James. You can, you can glean so much more and receive so much more if you're taking your Bible and you're highlighting and you're underlining. And you'll be able to go back to that. You'll be able to go back to that and see like times in your life uh, that, that this book spoke to you. Or something it said to you at this time in your life as a teenager. Uh, Seth, he's been using my little duct tape Bible. It's covered in, not duct tape, but black electrical tape. And I traveled all over Europe with it. That was my high school Bible. And it's funny, I see him flipping through Proverbs, man. And there's just probably a multitude of colors in that Proverbs and uh, underlying and highlighters. And it's just, you know, it's just times in my life when that, when that book of wisdom spoke to me, when it really fathered me in many ways and taught me so many things about life. And so... I just want to keep encouraging you guys, bring a, your Bible to the youth group, bring a notebook, bring a pen, like truly be students of the word. You know, I know it's hard to find time to, to find devotion, to have, have like true devotional time, intimate devotional time, personal devotional time. And I know it's hard to find time through the week to read the Bible, but this is the time set up aside where you're here anyway, and you know, we're going to study the Bible. So it's kind of a no brainer, like for you to, to come fully prepared to open the word of God, to study it, to read it, to highlight to take notes on it. And so I just want to keep encouraging you in that, you guys. If you ever want my notes, ask me. Um, I can email them to you or I can print them off for you. Um, I do an outline for every section that I teach through James. Uh, the hope is that we're going to be dropping a podcast uh, with starting with the book of James and then actually kind of talking as a youth, as a youth, as youth pastors and leaders. Uh, I've, I've edited two of my James teachings now. And so the, the podcast is going to be called What's the Wi-Fi Password? That's going to be the name. What's the Wi-Fi password? I mean, really, like, you guys, it's, you go to a coffee shop, what do you ask? What's Wi-Fi password? That's like something your generation, like, just knows. And so, and so we're working on that, guys. And so James will be on that, but it'll be fun. So, so with that, let's pray, and uh, let's get started tonight. So, Father, we come before you, and we thank you again for your word, that it's real and true, and it's more than we could ever, ever ask for, God. It is truly wisdom, and it's truly knowledge. And, and God, as you call us to a place of seeking you, and asking for help, Lord, and asking for, for guidance, and asking for light in this dark world. That we know as we open up your word that, that it'll, it'll pour out those things to us, and wisdom, and knowledge, and light, and understanding uh, through this life. And so, right now, we just offer this time to you. God, speak through me as I'm just a tired, inadequate man. Um, but in you, Father, I, I, can, I can preach this word. And so, God, open the hearts and minds of these 
of my, my high schoolers in this room tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be going through James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 tonight, not a huge section. Uh, but really, it's just going to continue with the heart and the idea of, of this faith that we live, this, this, this faith walk that we try to emulate each and every day, that it's a living, a practical, and a healthy faith. A living and practical and healthy faith. And this should be something that we desire in this Christian walk, that our faith is not a dead faith. We're going to get into that in a couple weeks as James literally asked the question, is your faith dead or is it alive? Right? Faith without works is dead. And basically he comes to the point of like there has to be a working out of your faith. Now I'll keep saying this through the book, but this is not a works-based faith. This is not a you're earning your salvation, but this is you working out what God has put in you. As you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and said, yeah, I want to be a Christian. You've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God actually lives within you. And now you are working out what God has put inside of you. You are working out this faith that God has, has given you. And this is what James calls us to do. That's why many times you can read through the book of James or someone you can hear a teaching on it. And maybe it sounds a little legalistic or a little bit like, man, if I don't do this, this and that, then I'm not a Christian. But the whole idea here is James is urging us and he's, he's bringing us to a place where it's not about your works and your salvation, but within your salvation, there should be works. There should be evidence, right? Evidence that you are a Christian. There should be some type of stamp, some type of image in your life, some type of, of conception in your life that says, I am a Christian, right? Uh, that this is what I am. This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. This is why I live the way that I live. James is going to continue with that as we go into tonight's section, again with this living, practical, and healthy faith. James takes us through uh, kind of our tendencies to show partiality. So many times we, what? Jenny's like ready to bust over here. What's up? You all right? It's all right. You guys are, you guys are cool. It's all right. You guys aren't being disrespectful or distracting. Um, now you are, but you weren't before. So, so. He takes us through this, this tendency that we have as humans to be partial. That we, we, in a sense, judge a book by its cover, right? We see somebody and we immediately judge or we, we think we see somebody act a certain way and so we immediately judge or, or throw out expectations or tendencies or, or preconceived notions at that people. And so James tonight takes us through this tendency, which really is not a tendency that emulate, emulates Christ, but is a tendency that actually is, is anti-Christ as we throw those expectations, we throw those preconceived notions at people. Really, James brings us to a place of really what we, how we should live, uh, what, what our life should look like, our daily walk. And really, in a in sense, like as we walk through this living faith, this, this living out of it, and, and what it should mean to those around us, what it should mean to those that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's, I'll say this a million times. You walk into an orchard and you see a certain type of tree and you know it's that type of tree because it has... Fruit, that kind of fruit. Yeah, it has grapes. You walk, yeah, sure. Um, so you, you know it's an apple tree because it has apples, right? Um, and so in that, right, in that, they should look at this group even and say, well, I know those, that, that youth group. I know that group of high schools are Christians because they have fruits of the Spirit, because they show love, because they're welcoming, because we're grapes. Uh, <laughs> not quite. Um, yeah. Anyway, all right. So, so hopefully you're there. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Let's, uh, we're going to read through all 12 or 13 verses and, uh, and then kind of dissect it. All right, guys? So follow along with me. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly 
and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. If you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If, uh, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right. Interesting little section here as James kind of gives us this parable or this image of, of basically a church, a youth group. And, and two different type of people walk in, these contrasting people. One who's dressed in fine clothing. He's, he's wearing all the right gear. He's got the, the right type of jewelry or the right type of shoes, right? The, the name brand clothing. He's dressed to, to impress, as it were. And then you have the poor man, the one who walks in without the name brand clothing. Maybe the clothes are a little tattered, a little torn. Maybe even he, he doesn't smell right. He forgot to put on deodorant that day. Right? And this, this contrast between these two people, James gives us this picture and really lays it out before us. And he lays it out in such a way where, where it's not a, a question. It's not this like, hey, what do you think you should do? But he lays it out in a very, a very like, practical way by saying, no, you know what you should do. You know what the right answer in this is. I'm going to lay this out for you anyway, but you know what you should do. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself an assembly of the body of Christ, like we call ourselves here in this youth group. You know what you should do. Right? It should not be one or the other. It should not be showing partiality. And so James here gives us this picture, walks us through this. And so from this text, I've got four points we're going to go over tonight. Four different points. Pretty simple. Four points. So if you're taking notes, our first point tonight is too often we judge by appearance and expectation. Too often we judge by appearance and expectation. Again, that saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Too many times we judge the book by its cover. Personally, I do. <laughs> when I'm looking for new books to read, the cover catches my eye, right? It really does. I'm sure if you ask your parents, they, they buy that bottle of wine, usually buy the, the label on it, right? It's, it's usually like, yeah, that looks cool, right? It's the idea that, that we judge a book. We do. And, and to say, like, I don't, it's basically denying that you're human. Because <laughs> we all do. We all do. We all see that type of car. We all see that type of person, the way they walk or talk or dress, and we judge them. Right? Our preconceived notions, our expectations are laid out bare in front of us. And so James here says this in verse 1, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So first off, completely con like contradictory to our own nature of showing partiality, our own nature of, of judging that book by its cover, James says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And what James here is doing is laying out, your nature is one thing. Your nature is to show partiality. Your nature is to be judgmental. Your nature is to, to lay out your own expe 
expectations and preconceived notions to those around you. But the fact is, in Christ, in this faith that we hold, as he says, as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, you are to have no partiality. You are to have no expectations in, in that sense or no preconceived notions of the way that person should act or that person should be, that, that race or that, that wherever they're from or the way they are. Have none of that. A couple of verses to, to kind of show us this, this faith that we hold in Jesus Christ, that within that there should be no partiality. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God... The God of gods, the lords of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Deuteronomy tells us that God, the Lord, the king of the universe, the one who would really have the right to show partiality, doesn't. Sees his creature, sees his creation, and does not show that partiality. Does not hold one above the other. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Do you know that story in Acts? It's when God came to Peter, and basically Peter's on top of of this roof praying, and it's about lunchtime, so he's getting kind of grumbly and kind of hungry, and God lays out this giant tortilla in front of him with all the different animal meats on it, right? Like literally, no, it's a big sheet, but I think, you know, you think tortilla, right? Giant burrito. And God lays out all the different meats, right? From lobsters to, to anacondas to, to beef, right? And pork, right? Carne asada. And, and Paul, Peter says, no, 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 I can't eat that, God. No, I can't do that. I've never tasted anything like that. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, how dare you call anything I do unclean? Peter's like, ooh. And this was setting him up. <laughs> this was setting him up to go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile's house, where Peter would be the first one to see Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. God was showing Peter that I don't show partiality. I don't show this. This is not how I work. This is not how my kingdom works. This is not how my Christians should be. In a sense, the, really the idea is, if God shows no partiality, should we? Should this youth group? Let me ask you guys something. When you come into youth group and you see a stranger, you see someone new, is it your first inclination to go introduce yourself? To say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Welcome to youth group. Probably not, right? Out of your first nature. Keanu's like, yeah, I'll do it. But the idea here is that it should be. It should be. If you see a stranger in this youth group, if you see a new kid, whether it's middle school, and especially middle schoolers, high schoolers, You should be the one introducing yourself. You should be the one welcoming them, loving them, bringing them into the fold, letting them know that they're welcome here, that they belong here, that this is a place for them. This is just a practical way for us to show this is what James lays out for us, a church or a youth group where, where that person walks in through those doors and that's not somebody you would normally hang out with. That's not somebody you would normally want to relate to. But James here is calling us out and he's saying, no, you should. Because the fact is, if God shows no partiality, why should we? And so youth group, let me encourage you, my high schoolers, let's not show partiality. When we see that new kid walk into youth group, when we see that new, new person, and even if it is a middle schooler, go say hi. High schoolers, you should be the example to those middle schoolers. They should look up to you and see you and say, I can't wait to be in that high school group. I can't wait to be a part of that group because they're so welcoming. They're not scary. They're not, not they don't, you know, they got facial hair in there, you know, but like, I, I'm, they're not, I'm not afraid of them, right? Sam's had facial hair since he was a fifth grader, but, like, <laughs> but the fact is like, like they shouldn't be afraid of you. You should be welcoming and loving because the fact is guys, if you call yourself a Christian, if I call myself a Christian, yet I'm not, I'm not welcoming. I'm not one that reaches out my hand in love to not show partiality, but to show 
like a true kindness, then, then there's something wrong there. And if, if, if a kid comes into our youth group and says, well, this youth group's kind of clicky, or this youth group's not welcoming, then there's something wrong with us here, guys. There really is. This should not be a clicky youth group. This should not be a place where somebody walks away going, man, they just weren't welcoming. It shouldn't be that way. And so I implore you, my high schoolers, let's be that. Let's be that for this next generation coming up, that, that room full of middle schoolers over there. Let's be that for every high school that walks in here. James continues, my second point now, my second point if you're taking notes, we must remember we are of a kingdom mindset. Another point that James wants us to understand is that you're not of this world. That even though your nature is to show partiality, you're not of this world anymore. You are of a faith that, that is held in Jesus Christ, and, show, and so you are to be of a kingdom mindset. James says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom? Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom? This really kind of throws everything upside down, doesn't it? This is not the way the world works. It's not the way the world kind of perceives things. Right? That, that, that the poor are the ones that are actually rich. Those who have little are actually the ones who have much. And yet James here just kind of reiterates Jesus' teachings that, that this kingdom mindset is really a kingdom in reverse. It's a kingdom upside down. And so if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 5, or you can follow along with me. The Beatitudes is really what, what James is emulating here. In verse 2 it says, And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This was Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, starting with the Beatitudes. This call to you and I, as we say, yes, I, I, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. Jesus says, okay. Here's my, here's my kind of criteria for you. Blessed are, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. These are not things the world treasures, is it? Like, I don't, I don't know if any of you guys, I was listening to a podcast and they were depicting the last season of The, of the Bachelor. I guess it was huge, right? The fence jump. Did you guys, any girls watch that? So anyway, Tate, the fence jump. Yeah, okay, the fence jump. Apparently this one bachelor, he ran, right? He actually ran, jumped this fence and took off. He was ticked, he was mad. And as I read through this, it's funny, I was thinking about that, because this podcast, it was This American's Life, they were depicting, like, anyway. The whole idea is that would you, with a bachelor, would he be depicted in these things, right? Would, do you know a, a UFC fighter who's depicted in these things, right? How about an NFL player? How about, a, how about, how about Mayweather, right? The, the, one of the greatest boxers who ever lived. Right, these men, these women that we hold up high... I'm sure you girls can think of some too. I don't know. Taylor Swift, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> definitely not Myrie Cyrus, right? Definitely not. Um, definitely not Justin Bieber. Uh, yeah, that's true, huh? Um, getting called out. All right. The idea, <laughs> the idea here is that this is what Christ is calling us to be. This is who Christ is calling us to be. To have this kingdom mindset to be outside the world. And really, James here is even drawing us even deeper in. Is that can you see these people through God's eyes? As you call yourself a Christian, as you try to walk to be 
to be as, as these blessed, as these, these beatitudes are. And you look at that, that scenario of the rich man and the poor man coming into this room. Can you see those people through God's eyes? Can you see the rich man for who he is and what, what, he, what matters to him and where he stands with things? And can you see the poor man and what he truly needs? When you walk down the street and you see in, in our city, which is very contrast, right? Where you see the poor men that walk around down by the bus station or East Village Coffee. And you know, yeah, that's, that's what they are. They're a drug addict or they're, they're homeless. And then right next to him comes the Ferrari, right? Down Alvarado Street. We see the contrast very clear in our town, don't we? And yet, what are we truly seeing? Are we seeing this through God's eyes? Are we seeing the rich man who may have it all, but yet truly has nothing? And then are we seeing the poor man who truly just needs Christ, needs love, needs grace, needs recovery, needs help? And see, this is James continues to kind of mold over us. This faith, that, this living faith that we're walking in, as it's practical, as it's healthy, it's seeing the world through God's eyes. Not through our nature, not through Josh Shively's eyes, which are tainted which do have expectations, which do have preconceived notions, which do, in a lot of ways, have racism, guys. Like, I'm going to see the world in my experience and the things that I've been through in this life and the, and the, the things that I've done and the things that have been done to me. But I'm called to have an, eyes, like an eyesight to, to see the world through Christ's eyes and to see those people not as Josh Shively would, but as Jesus would. All right, point number three. Point number three. God gave you a brain. Use it. God gave you a brain. Use it. James says here, uh, verse 6, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now James here isn't calling out every rich person, saying it's a sin to be rich, it's a sin to have money. I, don't mind ha- I wouldn't mind having a little bit more. But he's not calling out the rich person. But Scripture does teach us, and even Jesus, that it's not impossible to be a Christian and wealthy, but it is hard. It is hard to truly be the, de- the depiction and, and definition of what it truly means to be a disciple and a Christian and have a lot of abundance of money. It really is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, this isn't James or Jesus calling out every rich person, every wealthy person and saying, saying give it all away. You're a rotten sinner for having all that money. Uh, you shouldn't do that. But, we need to ask ourselves as we use this brain God gave us, can they truly, and like in, in, in the most practical way, be of a kingdom mindset, be like Jesus with all that abundance of wealth? Like when we really think of, of the, the, the wealth that this world has, those that literally, we just went through car week where, where I think the, the most expensive car sold for $48 million, right? Like $48 million, that's intense, right? It's, it's the idea that like, can that person who bought that Ferrari or whatever that car was, can they truly have a kingdom mindset? Can their mind, can their life truly depict and be like Christ's? You guys, I'm not going to judge and be legalistic and say no. But at the same time, as I perceive the world, as I see the world around me, I'm going to say it's really hard. It's going to be hard for them to live like Christ, to live like their God, to be a true disciple which we've gone through that in the practices of Jesus and we went through that uh, you know, before summer. The idea is being like your, your, your master, being like your rabbi, being like your teacher. And that's going to be difficult. It's going to be diff- difficult for them. We really need to look at, at this world that we live in. We need to open our eyes and we need to ask ourselves these questions. What and who should be important to us? What and who should be important to us? Second one. 
Are those same things important to the rich and powerful? As you look at your life, as you look at your ambitions, as you look at your mindset, as you look at what's important to you, are those similar to the world? Are those similar to those rich and powerful? Right? I want to be like this, and I need to gain that power, I need to gain that wealth to be like that. What's important to you guys? The third question, are they the same things that were important to Jesus? And this is a guy who literally when someone said, I want to follow you, he said, he said well, you know, foxes have holes and rabbits have bushes, but the son man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> I, I'm homeless. You want to follow me? I'm homeless. I, I'm, I'm, I'm crashing on couches and I'm witnessing to people. You want to follow me? The idea here is that Jesus, again, this kingdom mindset is so upside down. It's so contrary to what the world tells us is important. James here and Jesus back in the Gospels wants us to understand like truly what's important. Truly what's important. You guys, the fact is that as you ask those questions, the top of your list should be what's important and who's important to me should be people. It should be people. It should be mankind. It should be your brothers and sisters in Christ, your physical brothers and sisters and your brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be those around you that God has, has chosen to be put into your life, whether it's kids in school, people at your sports, whether it's your own intimate family, like those should be the top of your list because the fact is they were the top of Jesus's list. People are worth the greatest cost, you guys. We have to come to that realization as Christians. People are worth the greatest cost and God showed that by sending himself to die on a cross for all, all mankind. This is an undisputable fact. This is solid theology that we as Christians forget sometimes of what's truly important. When we look to our ambitions, when we look to our goals, when we look to like what I want to achieve as Joshua Shively, do I forget the people that God has put in my life? Do I forget the people that I just see on a day-to-day basis, whether it is that dude that's homeless at East Village, or whether it's the person I work out with at the gym, or whether it's, it's this per- the barista making my coffee. Those people matter so much to God that he sent himself to die on a cross. They are of the utmost importance to him. And they should be to us. Point number four, guys. Last point. Try to keep the truth written on the tablets of your heart. I love this, this phraseology in, in Proverbs. It talks multiple times about writing the truth, writing the laws on the tablets of your heart. It's almost like your heart or the, the stone tablets the Ten Commandments are written on. And you should chisel on those. Right? Chisel on those, ta- on those stone tablets, like the truths of God. The, the, the character of God and the, what's truly important to us as Christians. James says there in verse 8, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the transgression, by, convicted by the law as transgressors. Verse 10, continuing, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. James here wants us to continue to understand the truths of God, the truths of, of what it truly means to be a Christian as we, as we try to lay aside partialities, as we try to walk in a kingdom mindset, we try to have faith that, that truly is living and practical and healthy each and every day. James again emulates Christ's words in Luke chapter 10 by saying in verse 27, And he answered, You shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is, is referring from Deuteronomy, the Shema, it was a prayer of, of the Jews. God, your Lord, right, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, and then Jesus added, and your neighbor as yourself. He was asked, what's the greatest law? 
What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And this is what he gives. This sums it all up, that you're going to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I mean, if Jesus himself summed up the law and the prophets, summed up the commandments in this, how important should it be to us? There's other characters, there's other, there's other in a sense, truths that we want written on our, ta- on our hearts. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. The truth of who you truly are to Jesus. That you are the sinner that has been saved by grace. Even in your transgression, even in your sin, Jesus yet died for you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God. Remember these truths that, that, that you are in this, this, this sinning, broken state, yet by God's grace, this free gift that has been given to you, you are saved. And through faith, believing that, that, that death on the cross 2,000 years ago by Jesus was something real, was something true, that it was not just a fake, that it was not just some crazy lunatic saying, yeah, Romans, nail me up. But it was real and true. A huge fundamental truth that you should have tattooed on your heart, guys, written on your heart, just like imprinted on your mind, it's John 3.16, right? John 3.16. I'm sure many of you can quote it from memory, but let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. John three sixteen through 18. You guys, what a, what a tremendous verse that shows us that within Christ, there is no condemnation. And what James here wants us to understand as he finishes this section is that, that we are transgressors. I love how he used the two sins, murder and adultery. Like, it could have been like, like lying and stealing. But he was like, two of the big ones, right? You murder somebody, that's a big one, right? Commit adultery, that's, that's a pretty big one too. And the idea here is that those are some of the most heinous atrocities that you can do to people around you. When we're talking about love, we're talking about no parti- like no, showing no partiality. We're showing about, talking about putting others in front of us and seeing them through God's eyes. And yet murder and adultery are some of the most heinous things that can be done within a society. Right? If, if I were to murder one of you, it would basically be the dun- like the, the dunzo of this youth group, wouldn't it? Right? Now, if I were to steal from one of you, it might, like, eh, I'd say I'm sorry, pay you back. But see, like murder, right? If someone commits adultery, the fact is that that destroys, destroys families, destroys complete societies and communities in horrible ways. The ripple effect is just is, is intense. And James wants us to understand that, that whether you commit adultery, whether you commit murder, the fact is either one of those, if you don't do one, but do the other, right? And in the same way, if you don't steal, but you do lie, you don't cheat, right? But you do hate. The fact is that in that, we're still transgressors, but... When we come to this law, when we come to this beautiful truth that we should be tattooed on our heart, as John says here in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, there is no condemnation for those who believe. That in this, that in Jesus, you and I, that there is no condemnation, but there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is salvation. And see, young Christians, once we understand that, once that is such a foundational point of our life, the fact is it's so much harder to show partiality, isn't it? When we have grace for ourselves and we understand the forgiveness that's been given to us, how hard is it to, to judge and to have bitterness and, and resentment to others, right? When I realize that I'm a transgressor, even though I've never murdered or committed adultery, 
but I have stolen, I have, I have lied, I've hated. The fact is that I'm still a transgressor, I'm broken. So in that, I'm saved by grace and grace alone in Jesus Christ. And so who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Who am I to, to sh- throw partiality or throw condemnation if the God of the universe is not condemning me? Are you getting what I'm saying here, guys? The idea here is that if that foundational truth is not something that you believe and something that's real to you, then it's going to be very easy to show partiality. It's going to be something very easy to condemn and to judge others. But see, if I know, if I understand how how forgiven I truly am, then I am one, as James finishes there in verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. So I realize that God had every right to judge me in my sin, but yet chose to save me. And so who am I to judge but to show mercy to those around me? So young Christians, this should be something, again, that we all understand, that we we all receive like so strongly. And I hope you do. And if you're sitting here tonight and you don't fully know that, in reading John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, and that, that, that small scripture, if that's not something that resonates in you, let's talk. Talk to your small group leader. Ask him, like, how do I feel that? How do I know that? So that I, I, I am more like Christ. So I do understand that that's real and true in my life. Like, don't leave here tonight without knowing that, without walking through that. So summing up this section in James, again, you guys, like understand that this, this world is so much more than us, that, that this life is so much more than us. We need to see this life through the eyes, eyes of Christ. And again, like, let me just remind you, maybe next week there will be a new student who walks through those doors. Be that welcoming hand to them. Overwhelm them with love. Overwhelm them with welcomeness and non-clickiness and non, you know, whatever. Just overwhelm them with that love, guys. And, uh, Let's be that youth group, okay? Let's be that youth group that's never said of us, yeah, they show partiality, all right? All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you again and just thank you and praise you for your word. I pray as we finish this section of scripture tonight that it would just resonate so, just so strongly in these young person's hearts and minds. We praise you, Jesus, for this in your name. Amen. Calvary Monterey's youth ministry meets on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Both middle school and high school students are welcome. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.